can tell you that I am really thankful for God's overwhelming love, even amidst brokenness. I know that each one of us could probably get up here and give a pretty lengthy speech testifying of God being with us when things aren't quite the way that we want them to be. Am I right? Yeah. We're going to sing a new song this morning that just goes really well with this theme. Some of you might already know it. I think it's going to be pretty quick to catch on to, but uh, my prayer is just that as we sing this, that you will understand that your brokenness is not wasted. God is with us, and he is still good.
me ask you, somebody offers you a, a 99, a 1999 rusted Civic with 300,000 miles on it, uh, the, the front quarter panel's blue and the back quarter panel's red, and you know, it, kind of, it runs most of the time, and uh, you can have that or you can have a brand new loaded pilot. Zero miles, everything on it, perfect condition. Which would you pick? Anybody pick the Civic? No, all of us would pick uh, the Pilot. We'd want the nicer. You know, there, there's something in us that intrinsically assesses value, that, that we understand that things that are worth more uh, are more to be pursued than things that are worth less. And so we think a, a better job, if, if we get a job being paid $25 an hour, that's better than a job being paid $15 an hour. We, we intrinsically assess value. And, and it seems naturally smart, and it seems natural. I, I think it's probably the, a, a, a good way to think uh, as a steward of, of belongings and things, but, but God sees things differently than we do. God assesses values different than we assess values. And Christmas demonstrates this. God's value system is different than our value system. And he sees people differently than we oftentimes see people. He sees circumstances oftentimes differently than we see people. I was talking to uh, Scott Underwood yesterday, and I was just reminded a couple years ago, we talked about how God sees people. And we tend to see people, in, uh, to use mathematical formulas, as simple math. And, and God sees people as complex equations. And he, he sees people and their circumstances differently. And so how God sees impacts the lives of ordinary people. And, and so we've been using this phrase in the series, uh, disruptive innovation, which is a business term. Uh, from the Harvard Business School, and a disruptive innovation is an invitation, innovation that impacts the lives of ordinary people. So uh, Henry Ford, with his assembly line, impacted ordinary people in that cars were readily available to, to most people. And, and the computer made information at our fingertips, the personal computer, all these things are disruptive innovations in that they change the lives of ordinary people. And Christmas is a disruptive innovation. In, in what Christmas happened, what happened at Christmas, it has changed the lives of ordinary people. Jesus changed everything. And whether you say amen or amen, what, can, can I get an amen or an amen to that? Jesus changed everything. Amen, amen okay? No amens out there. I guess we're less formal. And so last week we started, we started in Mark, and we're, we're looking at John, and the disruptive innovation was we experienced the kingdom by turning and trusting, not through perfect religious performance. That that, that was the beginning of experience, experience in the kingdom. And as I, as I think about that, and I see Nancy sitting there, we, uh, of course, yesterday was Charlie's funeral, and Charlie had begun to, to really seek God through, through the Word and listening to preachers. And, and, and as we, I, I thought about that, and we talked about that, as much as Charlie was seeking God, God was seeking Charlie more. That as we sang that song, Reckless Love, I thought about you, Nancy, and I thought about Charlie. And, and, and I think it's important to understand that ultimately it's not about our best efforts, but about God's best efforts. And God's best efforts are sufficient 
and enough. And so you, you begin to see this in the Christmas season. And this week we'll continue to look at John, reading in John 1, 19 through 31. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, he said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent sent questioning him, why then do you baptize if you're not Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who, come, who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, now this is an interesting scene as you, as you begin to consider what's going on in this little passage. The, the Jewish leaders are coming to John. Uh, they're, they're, they're questioning. That they know something's going on. They, they know that John's doing something unique. And, and so they're coming from Jerusalem, which is the center of religious power, and, and they know something's up, but it doesn't make sense to them. See, Jerusalem was the center of the spiritual world, and from the Jewish perspective, it was the center of all spirituality, that everything was centered in Jerusalem, and yet here was John at the Jordan River baptizing, and people were flocking to him. These were the spiritual leaders, not John, and, and yet everyone was coming to John. And so they asked him, are, are, are you Messiah? Not that I believe they would have accepted his answer if he'd have said yes, but the question's there, are you Messiah? And, and John's going, no, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. Are, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Not that they would even have accepted anything that he said. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not the prophet. He says, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. So that makes straight, that's, that's interesting language. That's, that's king language. It's, it, it, you know, when Isaiah is saying this, he's talking about what would happen when a king would come into, a, into another city. When they would come into the city, they would, they would make the roads straight. They would make the roads worthy of the king. They would make it so that he could come in with ease, that people could see him. The roads would get fixed. So somebody important came to Marysville, the barrels on 31 off 33 would be removed, right? If they had time, they would fix the potholes. They'd make it easy for the person to come and, and make their way. And John's talking in the same way. He said, I I'm making it easy. I I'm preparing a way. I I'm making the way easy for the Messiah 
the Lord to come. I am ushering in the Messiah. And then he concludes his little sermon to the, the religious leaders with this statement. The reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. In other words, John's saying, when I'm doing this water baptism, I am revealing the ministry of Jesus. I'm revealing the mission of Jesus. I'm revealing the nature of Jesus. And in so doing, he's revealing the nature and the mission and what God is trying to accomplish. And so the, questions become, the question becomes, who was being baptized? Who are these people that are flocking to John? They're, they're ordinary people. They're tax collectors. <laughs> they're Gentile Roman soldiers, outsiders. They're ordinary sinners. And so Christ is being revealed not through the best of their society, He's not being revealed through the most pleasing religious practices. In other words, John's saying, listen, all these things that you're doing in the temple that's really cool, you know, the candles and the sacrifices and the structure and all that stuff that, that catches people's eyes as far as religious activity, God's not being revealed through those things. Can we put it in our, our jargon? It's not in the churches but it's outside. It's not with the preachers, but it's with ordinary people. It's not with the smartest people in Israel. It's not with the best people in Israel. It's not with the ones you would put out in front of everyone else. You ever go into a store? Anybody in here ever been to a store? You guys, this is participation, okay? You go into a store, they put the best products up front, right? You know, if you want to shop in the scratch and dent section, which is where I typically want to shop, the scratch and dent, because it's cheaper, you have to go all the way to the back corner usually to find it. If you want to, if you want to shop in the scratch and dent in Ikea, you have to walk like 15 miles through the Ikea store all the way to the end before you get there, right? You know, you don't put the scratch and dent in the front, you put it in the back. Naturally, it would follow if God would put the best and the brightest out front, not the broken. You know, it fits with our ideals that, that, the, that to display God best, we give Him the best. We show the best. And I'll affirm, God wants our best. I believe that. And so when I stand before you and preach, I, I prepare, I, I study, you know, I, I do all the things so that I can communicate something that's worthwhile to the best of my ability. I believe our church should be the best we could possibly be. That, you know, when we, when we live stream, when we do these things, we want to do these things to our best ability. All those things are true. God wants our best, but here's the disruptive innovation. God wants our broken also. That, that God's not only demanding what's the best things in our life, but he wants those broken things, those things that people would say are worthless and meaningless. In life, it's all about what we can add. 
So, so you, you apply for a job, and, and you're trying to get a job, and you're going through the interview process, and you, you don't say, okay, well, I want you to know I'm going to be a real hindrance to this company. Uh, I'm going to sleep late, and I'll probably take like three-hour lunches, and you know, I'm not going to be very worthwhile, and I'm not going to add much value to the company, right? I, I hope nobody interviews like that. Now we say, you know, I'll be an asset. I, I'm unique. Here's what I can offer. Here's my best. And my best will be for the best of the company, right? Well, we understand that it, it's the best things that, that, that we offer. In other religions, typically, it's about what you can give. God, I come to you and here's what I can give you. But John's saying, turning and trusting demonstrates God. God wants the broken. That the religious losers usher in the kingdom, not the religious best. And so Jesus begins his ministry, which is really cool. Jesus begins his ministry with a song. Uh, the, the, the Beatitudes is a song. Like, just like in Genesis 1, God begins his story with the song of creation. When Jesus begins his ministry, he mimics how God begins his story, and he begins it with a song. This language of the heart. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Happy are the people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are the people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are the people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are the people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Hopeless, grieving, humble, hungry people are the beginning of the kingdom. That God's going to usher in his kingdom through people just like that. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, Paul says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I'm well content with the weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, now hear me. This is not an invitation to try to fail. But this is not an invitation to refuse our best, to do our best. But it is an invitation to see our broken differently because God sees our broken differently. So practically, what's that mean in practical ways? I believe we see opportunities in a broader light. Um, most of you know we, we've got a golden doodle, golden doodle and Kobe. Kobe's two and a half years old. And we were told that Kobe was going to weigh 40 pounds. He weighs 90 pounds. Let me tell you, 90 pounds is a lot of happy. And, uh, and so he, he's, when he was a puppy, um, he's a male dog. And it was kind of interesting because he didn't lift his leg when he went to the restroom like most male dogs do. And, you know, we were, it was kind of a weird thing, this, you know, this odd dog. Well, suddenly, two weeks ago, Kobe decided he was going to be more like a normal dog and began to raise his leg. You know, and I'm like, well, this is, this is kind of amazing. Where did this come from? And the funny thing is, 
He's really, really bad at it. Yeah, he'll lift his leg and he'll start to fall over. You know, you know, and, you know I'm laughing and you know, making fun of my dog. And it, No lie, this week he lifted his front leg instead of his back leg. He did this and then he looked at me and went, that's not right, is it? Now here's the awkward transition <laughs> from my dog to you. <laughs> if a silly dog is willing to try new things, even when there may be failure, who are we to say that we can't try new things, even though there may be failure as a result? Do, do you refuse to do anything that might result in failure? Spe speaking to a younger generation, what, what I've seen, and you know, I've got three kids uh, under 26, uh, what I've seen with the younger generation is unless there is an assurance of success, oftentimes they won't even try. That, that there's this fear of failure that keeps many in this generation from trying because they are patted on the back, I believe, so much for success. Can I tell you, I've had things in my life that have worked and things that didn't. I've had success and I've had failure, and all of them have great value in my life. That there's been times in my life where, where I believe God has called me to something that may not result in success as the other, other people might see, but it's been an opportunity for God to stretch me in a new way. I believe we've used the language of gifts so much that sometimes we miss the point. You know, I believe in spiritual gifts, and as a pastor, oftentimes I'll talk to people and I'll say, well, you know, I'm really not gifted that way. And we use this language as an excuse not to allow God to stretch us in new ways. Hear me. God does not call us to serve where we feel best suited. Hear that? God does not call us to serve where we feel best suited. God calls us to obedience where he feels we are best suited. In other words, it's not about, well, God, I can do this, so I'll, I'll, I'll try. It's about, I want you to do this, so can you please just follow and be obedient? This means that sometimes God calls us to serve outside our comfort zones. And in serving outside our comfort zones, sometimes God receives glory that he would not receive otherwise. And he stretches us in ways that we would not otherwise experience. Think of Moses Moses is called to, to be God's spokesperson. And Moses says, what to God? I can't speak. I, I have this terrible stutter. You know, I'm, I, you know I, I, they put me out with the sheep. And that's all I have. You know, I'm really bad at speaking. Uh, we're not live streaming now, so I figured I could do that. <laughs> I have this stutter. And God says, I don't want you to speak. I want to speak through you. And so God calls him and uses him in his weakness. So sometimes God calls us to serve in ways that don't readily show success. The Apostle Paul is a great example. And we, we look at Paul's ministry and think, man, what a, what a successful ministry Paul had. But, but there were times in Paul's ministries that it didn't look much like success, success to me. Paul would go into a town and he'd preach and and he'd be so well received as a preacher, they had take him outside of town and stone him, okay? That's not like, I don't want that to happen every week I preach, right? 
That doesn't look like much success, and yet Paul just keeps moving forward. Paul, Paul will preach in a town, and he'll establish a church, and then he'll write a letter to them, and you can see that the ministry that he planted is not doing exactly like he thought it would, because he'll be saying things, you don't get it. Did you not hear what I was telling you? And now you're doing this? And so when you look at Paul's ministry, you see churches relapsing, Paul being rejected. So sometimes God calls us to this point of vulnerability where we're willing to serve regardless of what the success level may look like on the outside. Not that, but it's an invitation to be vulnerable before God. When things aren't going well, according to our plans, when, when, when our life is a mess, when everything is in disarray, God wants your broken. He wants that part of your life. And I think the question is, how do we get there? You know, I'm going to use a phrase that we're going to use a lot over the next few months, and that it's, we're better together. Uh, we need each other. And all, I affirm this in the first service, I'll affirm it in this service as well. I do not believe that live streaming and worshiping alone in our living rooms is the future of the church. We need each other. We need real vulnerable community. I'm glad that we can offer that, and we'll continue to offer that for, for one reason. Sometimes we can't be here. Maybe we're sick. Maybe there's something going on, and I'm glad that we can offer that. It's a good opportunity for other people to see our church and and experience it without walking through the doors. It's a good thing to have, but it's not the future. It's not everything. We need each other's. And so there's this importance of small groups as the connections that you make, uh, the friendships that you have. It's importance of Sunday schools and, and, and serve service groups. In one part of the Bible, um, the, God speaking through John says, how, how can you say you love God unless you love others? And, and, and I wonder if that doesn't apply to a lot of things. How can we claim to be vulnerable before God if we can't be vulnerable with each other? And, and I'm not saying in this room, in this space, that we need to be vulnerable with everyone in this space. But, but I believe in this space, in this room, in this community, there needs to be one person that you can call. That, that at 3 o'clock in the morning, when the wheels are falling off, certainly you can, you can pray. But when the wheels are falling off, is there someone you can call and say, listen, things are bad. Can you pray with me? See, I, see, I believe there's something vitally important in a community where we can love and be vulnerable with each other. This morning, maybe on your cards, you, you want to put, uh, I believe God's speaking to me to, to move outside my comfort zone. Pastor, can, can you pray with me? Can, can we meet? Maybe, maybe he's calling you something that seems bigger, that seems impossible, that seems destined to fail. And the card may be an opportunity for you just to begin that process of having a conversation and sharing together. We can pray together. Maybe it's a place of brokenness. And maybe it's a place that, that's so sacred, so difficult, that you don't even want to put it on a card. So maybe you want to send me an email or, or send me a text or even call me on the phone or drop 
by the office after a service or say, hey, can we talk? And, and you want to share something that's going on. You know, there, there's a sacred duty of a, of a pastor. Uh, that, that one of the most important things that I serve as is somebody, if, if there's no one else, that you can confide in me. I, I want you to know, and I think it's important in this part of the service that you understand, anything you say to me is confidential. That, that you can talk to me, and, and I'm not going to talk to anyone else about it. It's not going to be something that's a subject to the board unless it's a dangerous thing and we have to, to, to talk about it. You know, just personal things, you can talk to me. I don't even share with Terry. And um, I think oftentimes people think that I tell Terry everything, and you know, sometimes people will share things with me. And can you pull me down a little bit, Samuel? People think I share everything with Terry, but I don't. And so they'll come to her after with the expectation that she knows. And unless you give me permission, I don't share information. And so it's important that you know that, that if there's nobody else in this place that you feel like you can talk to, you can talk to me. And, and can I tell you, there's not much over the course of my ministry and my life that I've not heard. I'm not going to faint in the floor. And if I do faint in the floor, you'll be the first one that causes me to faint in the floor. And that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? So I want you to know you can talk to me. That you can be vulnerable with me if no one else, and, and, and we can pray together. We can talk together. We can plan together. I'm going to have the praise team come up, and we're going to close with the song that we, um, we sang at the, the end of the service. Here's the reality God's still working on me. Uh, there's places and points of vulnerability with me. There, there's places that God is pushing me that, can, can we just say it? Sometimes where God calls us, we're afraid we're going to fail. Anybody ever been there? there there's still places like that, that, that God's not finished with me. If he's not finished with me, I don't think he's probably finished with you. <laughs> and so I think it's in these places of brokenness and weakness these are the places, the cracks, where God's glory can shine through. So we're seeing this. Our altars are, are always available for you if you want to pray. Uh, after we sing through this, I'm going to close this in prayer. But I just invite you. Let me say a quick prayer. Lord, help us to be vulnerable and open to you in this, these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.